Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hello! You must be sick of the sight of me. I never go away. I've actually brought a sleeping bag and I'm just going to stay in the scriptorium from now on. It's just pointless leaving. <laughs> what, what an evening. Better week. I'm every day. I think it can't get any better and it gets better. And I, I'm goosebumpy from today. I can't believe it's ending tomorrow. I'm going to be slightly in grief when it's all gone. But tonight is particularly exciting for me because I reached out to a dear friend, Anita, and she is so busy. This woman never stops. She's in different countries. She's all over the world. And she said she would come and talk to us tonight, which is, again, I'm so grateful. I've got a few logistical things to do. Um, there will be book signings, I think. I think my books are up there, weirdly, if you want them. I don't know. I'm amazed if anybody in Gloucester doesn't own a copy of my book by now. <laughs> but there are copies up there. We will uh, be taking questions. So we'll do sort of 45, 50 minutes of talking to each other. And then it will go out to you guys. So wait for the microphone to reach you. Someone will bring it over. Speak into the microphone. Then we can hear you. Um, I want to thank everybody that's been involved in this festival. Tomorrow I'm going to do the big list of thank yous where I get very tearful and, and say how magnificent the team are that put this festival on for you and how hard they all work. But it would be impossible to do this without our sponsors. And we are so fortunate that companies from Gloucester, people, they want to sponsor these talks. And in particular, we've got Davis and Partners Solicitors sponsoring tonight. Now, they have been with us since day one, and they believe in this festival, and that is why they continue to invest in it, and I'm incredibly grateful to them for that. Right, Anita, what can I say? I'm, you all know her. She is a superstar. I idolise this woman. Um, not only is she one of the most extraordinary broadcasters in terms of her humanity and her just the, the sheer approachability of her on the screen. I feel like every time I watch Anita on the screen, she's talking to me. And that is such a gift. And she's incredibly talented and gifted for that. She's incredibly intelligent and, inc and just so good at what she does. But she's also been on Strictly Come Dancing. <laughs> And I mean, oh, she can dance. It's not fair. One person shouldn't have all those skills. It's just not fair. So we are going to be talking about quite a, uh, an upsetting topic 
today. And it's something that we're going to, you know, we'll, you'll find out why she chose to, to talk about this today and how it came about. But we are going to be talking about Indian partition. So sit back, relax, and please let's all welcome to the stage the amazing Anita Ronnie. Thank you. What an intro. Yeah, well, that was quite you difficult. It. I have to say, Nina's given me this huge intro, but obviously I'm the fan of Nina because I've come dressed identically. Um, I've she got boot envy. <laughs> uh, hello, everyone. How wonderful to be in Gloucester. Um, my first time here, and it's no. yeah, honestly, and I travel. I do travel the length and breadth of the country, and I'm always somewhere incredible for country file or wherever. But first time in Gloucester, and. This Blackfriars Priory is just spectacular. What a great venue. It is amazing, and, and that is why we're doing the History Festival, because not enough people have come here, not enough people know what we've got to offer, and that's why we want to shout about it, and you are helping us I with know. that. Thank you. I know, a bit of Yorkshire in Gloucester. I know. <laughs> good, it's good, it's good. So, okay, yes. we are, we're going to be going on a long journey together yeah. on this stage. I, I want to find out first, before we go into the story of what happened, a bit about your early life. So tell me what it was like growing up Ooh. as Anita Rani. Oh, gosh. So I grew up in Bradford mm -hmm. and um, in Yorkshire. Very, my, my, my grandfather, the one you don't know about, because you know a bit about my, half of my family, my maternal side. But the reason that I lived in Bradford is because my grandfather, my dad's dad, was one of the first wave of Indian migrants to Britain. In, and he came in 1954 as an economic migrant, right. um, post uh, partition as lots of people from the Commonwealth were invited over uh, to help rebuild Britain. My granddad decided to come and he worked in a foundry and I, he's told me all this and I, my, uh, my first question was, Grandad, why Bradford? <laughs> <laughs> you could have gone anywhere. And I'm, but actually having said that, I joke, I'm so proud of my northern roots. And yeah. for me, being from Yorkshire, it's just, it is so, such a, I'm, I'm so lucky to be from a county that has such a strong identity. And it, you know, you cut me and I bleed, Yorkshire, Punjabi, London. It's kind of a nice mixture. But I had a really lovely childhood. My dad got married to my mum, arranged marriage. First time they met at Heathrow Airport. Wow. Amazing, right? God. And so, so which is, it's just... just I mean, that's a whole another, that's, a, that's another conversation for another day. That is. But it is, it is... And they are the most remarkable people I know. They're incredible. Mm -hmm. They're just a force. And, um, you know, they built me to kind of... They, I just saw them work really hard yeah. to give me and my brother a, a, a brilliant life. But also they were adventurous and we'd go out into the countryside every weekend and we would be on the moors or visiting Whitby and York and all these fabulous places. So I guess that's where the country file kind of in me comes from. So very much a city girl, but have such a huge appreciation of the countryside. Yeah, because you do so many different programmes. Yes. And, and I mean, that's again what sort of excites me about your work is that you're equally passionate. You know, you could be rambling along next to a river getting utterly excited yeah. about it or, or like you've just been doing with world's busiest cities in the heart of <laughs> sewers and dumps. I know how I how I got the sewer gig I was like, I'm, I'm sure the the contract said Dan Snow goes in the sewers <laughs> not Anita Rani um but uh, yeah, I don't do sewers. But yeah, it was pretty stinky. Um, why do? Yeah, I do do a lot of stuff. I'm really lucky, I guess, when you work in television to get that variety of programmes. When I'm not a formidable expert, you know, renowned historian as yourself, some of us have got to blag our way through life, oh, right? And and so I, yeah, two things. I 
am genuinely passionate about everything. And also, I'm pretty cheap. I'll do anything um, <laughs> for the right price. So... <laughs> I don't believe that. I, but <laughs> no, but I I'm lucky. I'm lucky. I get to do some really good stuff. But it's for the adventure too, yes. isn't it? I mean, that is the thing about making television that, you know, it is so exciting to have these opportunities and these, the access. It's the access. It's the things yes. that people don't get to see. And you're taking people with you on that journey. Yeah, uh, yeah. It is. It's absolutely wonderful that you get to, I get to travel. And I do get to travel the world. And I absolutely love it because I have... Wanderlust eternally. I don't know if it, I don't think it will ever leave me. Really, but even just for country file going around Britain, and it's the same thing to be invited into people's homes yep. to really see a slice of life that you wouldn't see. And it's it's so annoying for my husband because I can't go on holiday without going. Oh, if only I was working here, I'd be invited into their home. <laughs> And I get to like, and I'm actually being a tourist now, and that's really tough because I, I queued to pay to get into a museum the other day, and I'm like, what is yeah. this? How do I not just walk straight? But yeah, but that is the biggest privilege. Um, a, because personally, you get to see bits of the world that you, you know you wouldn't get to see as a tourist. But B, that people actually invite you in, know, and and that's what is so remarkable about humans, but also it's so humbling. And that's what I take away from everything that I do, that people are just wonderful wherever you go and they will bring you into their home. And one of the most brilliant programs I did was straight after Strictly, which is brilliant and again, another conversation of the day. And I'm sure maybe someone may have a question about it, um, but it's such a bubble. And the first program I did as soon as that finished was I went to a refugee camp um, called Zatari in Jordan, a, a, a Syrian refugee camp. and. That was the place where I felt the most humble. I, couldn't, I could have just crawled on my hands and knees because they, we know they have nothing, and yet nobody would... They had, it's an incredible place. They have a high street where they have um, bakeries and, and uh, the most delicious falafel you've ever had and a wedding dress shop and a bicycle repairman. So they've created this environment so that they can, you know, just have a, a semblance of normality. And yet, everywhere we went, we'd say, right, we need to buy some baklava to do some filming. And they wouldn't accept our money. Gosh. Yeah, I know. I mean, these are small things, Gosh. but these are the things that I take away from the, the jobs that Absolutely. I do. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it is, it's just the more people you meet, the richer you actually find people. Yes. I yeah. find as yeah. well. Yeah, I, I love people. Yeah. yeah. I think we have that in common. Yeah. <laughs> Apart but, from Trump. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> He's in another box. <laughs> He's in a box of a few yeah, that yeah, we don't yeah. like. There's a few, yeah, there's <laughs> we'll a few. We'll just chuck a few in there. <laughs> now, um, I want to talk about these programmes that you've yes. made that mean so much to you and particularly mean a lot to, I think, the viewing public. You have had the most extraordinary reception for your documentaries, India and Me, mm -hmm. that went out, and I'm sure many of you will have watched them. Utterly amazing television. I, I, I said to her upstairs, I was so proud of you in every single shot. You, it was so human and so personable. And you were telling a story that very few people know about. Tell us about it. So this, well, with it, yeah, we, I, we will talk, obviously we're going to talk about actually partition but, um, and what I know about it through making these programmes. But where the programme idea came from was two years ago, I made, I was lucky enough to be asked by the BBC to if I wanted to make a Who Do You Think You Are? I don't know if some of you may have seen my episode. And I knew a little bit about my family, but I didn't know a great deal. I knew that my grandfather was in the British Indian Army yeah. and um, had been married and had a son. And at the point of partition, which is when 
the British Raj ended and the British left India and Pakistan was created. I'm go we, we will cover this ground again. I feel like, how, you know, how do I tell this story? How do you so tell the whole story of partition? Yeah. But what I knew is that at that moment, he lost his first family. Everybody, everybody died. And he remarried my mum's mum, my nan, and that's where my mum and I come from. But that's all we knew. And who do you think you are? We, we know is a wonderful way of learning about other history that wouldn't be told otherwise, just through this brilliant technique that some genius in television had the idea of doing. Um, and the only reason, there's a real difficulty be, in telling stories that aren't from Europe, if you come from um, Africa or, the, or, or Asia, is because there's no documentation. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of oral history, but actually to make a TV program like Who Do You Think You Are, you need documents. Good point, yeah. Um, and the only reason they could tell my story is because my grandfather was in the British Indian Army, that they had documentation of uh -huh. his life and his career, and the, because the British were there, and they were so amazing at documenting things <laughs> and keeping records and filing things, even though the Indian filing system is a world of its own. But that's the only reason. I mean, that my, you know, maybe I'll make another program about my nan who grew up in Burma, and I'm desperate to know about her life in Burma, really? but they couldn't find any documents really? to support what, what they'd been up to. So, so I made this Who Do You Think You Are? And I can quite honestly say, it, I think it, it changed my life. It really did. I went into this program saying, I, yeah, I'd quite like to know, but you know, my mum and dad are the reason I am who I am. And mm. I think as a migrant, from a migrant family, you kind of just think, well, you know, we go back as far as I can, we're here on these shores. Exactly. Yeah. And what happened over there, what will, what will I learn about myself? Oh, more fool me. Really? Um, not only did I discover so much about my grandfather and who he was as a human and what a progressive, incredible man he was. He kept a memoir. As a, as a man of his generation, the Second World War generation, I think we all know that generation are very stoic, resilient, and men particularly just don't talk. They certainly don't talk about their feelings and emotions, Gosh, yeah. let alone an Indian man of that generation. But he, he wrote a, a memoir in both English and Punjabi. Good grief. And it is the most beautifully poetic, piece of what I got to read was just incredible and I felt so proud to come from that man. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of like thinking how much, where do I go back to yeah. partition? There's so much to say. But you, so you, made, but you, made, the, you made the Who Do You Think You Are? Yes. And obviously it opened up this whole world of your maternal grandfather. Yes. And, and in a way, the real crux of that story was this incredibly dramatic event Absolutely. that affected him early in his life. And that you then ran with yes. and said, I want to explore this more. And that happened really, that happened really quickly. That happened whilst I was filming the program. So really? I'm in India and everyone's saying, this is your grandfather. I'm like, yeah, he's amazing. Wow, he wrote this memoir. And I remember talking to a historian, one of, you talked to so many when you were making the program. Very quickly, I think within the first few days, I realized it dawned on me that this is so much bigger than me. I am not telling my story. I'm telling the story of millions of people. And obviously growing up in Britain, you grow up in a community and I grew up surrounded by, especially in a small town like Bradford, a city like Bradford, in the 80s, all the Asians were together. And I don't just mean Punjabi Indians like my family. I mean the Punjabi Pakistanis and everybody would know each other. Mm. It's like, my God, every single one of these families went through this. Yep. 
why does no one talk about this? Like, why even my own family has kept absolute silence about the fact that my grandfather had a daughter, that, we, that he's, what happened to his wife, no one really knows what happened. Nobody has spoken about it. Mm. The program went out, and I got this overwhelming reaction, and, um, which really threw me, actually, because I thought, oh, no one's going to watch it. No one's really You've interested. Got, you got, you, it was absolutely off the, off the stratosphere. It just yeah. went. And everyone was so excited, because I think the problem is, as well, it's an anniversary, isn't it? It's 70 years yeah. since, partition, since the, uh, the Independence Act was passed. And as a result, there was some bubbling away of interest. The BBC loved to commission things on anniversaries, yes. don't they? It has to be an anniversary. Yeah. But, but actually, you're so right, because it's a part of, of history that is so poorly explained and explored. And the numbers, when I started reading about it, my God, yeah, we are talking the largest migration in recorded history. We're talking millions, potentially, of deaths. It's utterly shocking stuff, isn't it? Yeah, it's shocking, but what shocked me more than that, really, was how few people knew about it. And I don't just mean, I had lots of people apologizing, saying, Anita, we had no idea. I said, you, nobody needs nobody. to apologize. I had British Asian kids getting in touch with me via social media saying, we had no idea, we'd vaguely heard Granny say something, but nobody had really talked about it. Somebody even got in touch with me to say, Anita, I didn't realize Pakistan was once part of India. <laughs> and I thought, this, how can it's this so be? so back to basics, isn't so it? so bad yeah. that this is being covered up or that no one knows. And that's where, it was after the Who Do You Think You Are that I went to the BBC Gosh. and said, look, I would love to tell this story. Um, and they the said yes. Yeah. And not only did they say yes, they did this in lovely format, which again, I think is you know, down to you, but this idea of telling multiple stories from the different regions, yeah. that's a great idea. Yeah, so it was obvious. I just felt it's, it was obvious to me that people should, if they should experience it is the way I experienced it. Uh -huh. Go and discover what you're... I know there's so much... We're here for three generations now, and... You know, lots of British Asian kids have never even set foot in India or Pakistan, let alone know about the history. Mm. So I thought, why don't I just find people who do exact, go through the experience that I had mm. and learn something about their family because that's the only way they'll feel it and really get to grips with what happened because that's what happened to me. And I'd read a couple of books about partition, mm. but knowing something intellectually and feeling it because it happened to you is, as we know, a completely different thing. So it then it's like, then how do you tell this vast bit of history? Well, you find the key players, one Muslim, one Sikh, one Hindu. And for me, crucially, had to be, someone had to be from a, a British colonial family. That was, that was the really exciting. Yeah, I loved be. it, that it was this, these layered narratives and, and all bringing it back to the real issue here, which is ideology, religion. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's such... A bizarre thing that partition, the way that partition happened, that you are dividing people, moving them, formats, mm. but the sound because of their beliefs. And that was the stroke of genius, I think, with the format. Mm. But the stories were all equally traumatic. That was what was so interesting. You know? Yes, and that's because it is a hugely, hugely traumatic rupture mm. of a land and a people. Uh, but so that was the thing, and that's the genius of the program makers, is that how do you... First of all, we know the stories are out there, but then finding stories that you can tell on BBC One as well, and that's mm -hmm. the key, um, because the BBC, BBC Two is a slightly different audience. BBC One audience, 
it's, it's, it's everybody. And yeah. you need to be able to communicate this in a way that everyone just is engaged with. And so you f have to find the right characters and the right stories. But also, it couldn't just be... I mean, it was a very moving programme, but there were moments of hope Absolutely. as well. And there was the moment where Benita, um, who's from a, a Bengali Muslim, a Hindu family, and she meets her family escape what later, as we know, became East Pakistan and then later Bangladesh by boats. And it's a Muslim father and his small son that helped the entire family escape by boat in the dead of night, covered them up, and they were stopped on the water. And they said, oh no, it's a Muslim family, you don't need to worry about these. It's making my hair stand I know, I know, I know. Um, <laughs> so they continue, and she went to Bangladesh and she met the little boy who saved her family. Good I mean, so, God. yeah. And it, I mean, it's making me well up just I know, thinking I about know. it. I'm not going to cry. It's, it's, You've seen me cry enough on telly. It's seriously emotional yeah. stuff. And yes. every story was, was traumatic. I want to talk a little bit about your family's story because <sighs> I got very emotional watching your response and your mum's response to the information that was coming out, but particularly when you met the, the elder gentleman who had known yeah, yes. her father. And that, that was... <laughs> when he cried... I, don't, I think there was, a per, there was a dry eye in the house. You're yeah. seeing this. El, I mean, he was in his 90s, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. And he was weeping over the things that he knew had happened around him. I, I think that for me, meeting the, the elders, and particularly him, because what you don't know is, because there's only so much we can tell you in, the, in a one-hour TV show, is that he was in the Pakistani army. He was a commander. So he would have fought my granddad. That's the subtext that came through in the interview. Yeah. You could see that there was regret and guilt yeah. and grief all wrapped up in his eyes. It and was, when oh. someone just looks you in the eyes, and every single person I spoke to, and this is, again, that generation who just don't do emotion, mm. particularly the men, mm. particularly that culture. And for him to just not be able to... None of them could even speak about it without... And th there was a phrase that he said that I will never forget, and he said... Because I said to him, you know, tell me about it, and he said... How can I explain the loss of friends? Yes. He said, when you lose friends, he said, none of you will understand what that means. Like overnight, overnight to your best friends, your, you yeah. grew up with as brothers, and then you never see them again, ever. Mm. And also they will know what it, what, what's happened to their land and what it, meant, what it now means to live in Pakistan. Yeah. What now living in Lahore means compared to what it was pre-partition. I mean, they know, they know that there is, a, you know, life has changed. And I think that's what you managed to get across so profoundly. But, but this is recent history. To me, yeah. I don't think 70 years is a long time. The fact that that guy was not only alive, but then active, possibly even an active member of the army at that point, involved in those sorts of massacres, that means that you know, he is a witness and a, and a yeah. record alive of those events. And, and we are talking seriously traumatic stuff. So... If there are people who didn't watch the programme, just explain yes. what you discovered about your family. So, what I, what I, 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 the Who Do You Think You Are for me was left unfinished. I didn't get to go to Pakistan to see where my grandfather had lived. And one of the reasons is, one of the sad, tragic legacies of partition is that if you're of Indian heritage, to get a visa to go to Pakistan, Anyone else could probably get one, and vice versa, actually, with Pakistani heritage getting into India. It's really easy. But for me to go, particularly as someone who works in telly, yeah. it took ages. Did it? it just took ages. So it took, you know, a long time. Eventually got the visa for both me and mum. And we, all we knew is that 
my grandfather had lost his father, his two children, and his wife. And they told us that his wife had jumped into a well um, because at that time, a lot of women, there was, as you can imagine, it was so brutal and um, so violent, and women were a weapon of war. And so rather than being raped or murdered by whoever, they were taking their own lives. Um, and that's what we were told. And we were told that, you know, my great-grandfather was killed coming out of the village. So I went to find out. First of all, we got to the village where they lived. And for the first time, my mother, who quite honestly, as siblings, they never talk about my grandfather's previous life. They just talk about their upbringing. I don't think she'd ever thought in her life that this would happen to her, that she mm -hmm. would go and see where he lived. I don't even think they really think about his life before. before. Mm -hmm. You know, they just kind of, oh yeah, he's our dad and he was in the army. They don't really think about the fact that he'd had a life and had lost everyone in his world. Yeah. Um, so we enter the village and there is an old gentleman who knew my grandfather, who was at school with him and knew my great-grandfather. And my mother was just, I can't, I don't know what she must have felt. Mm. You know, I can only imagine what was going on with her mm. to then hear stories about her dad and her great, and her grandfather, who by all means sounds like he was quite a dude, which is always nice to hear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were doing all right for themselves. Um, and uh, yeah, but they didn't die in that house. Mm. Um, what we, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, that was the other thing. It was detective work taking place almost while you were there, wasn't it, yeah. when you were making this? You were discovering, once you got to the village, that in fact, it yes. was further down, wasn't it? Yes. So, at that time, what I learned, um, one thing that the British were doing um, just pre, uh, pre the end of, end of the Raj was this fantastic irrigation network, this system of canals, that were being built in Punjab, which Punjab, the northern um, state of India, I'm sure most of you know I'm sitting amongst people who, well, you're here for a reason, obviously, so you will know that much. But it, it's the breadbasket of um, India and, at that point, Pakistan, um, very fertile, rich land. And the British were building a, a system of canals to irrigate this beautiful land. And my great-grandfather actually migrated there from another part of India to work on the land. And people live within villages, and each village was called a chak. And this district had the most wonderful Punjabi name, Montgomery District. Oh. <laughs> Great Punjabi name, Montgomery District. But so they all lived in these chaks, and chaks, and each chak had a number, and they lived in chak 45. And that was a predominantly Hindu and Sikh chak. And, but there were Muslim chaks all around, and very close network of villages. They're not kind of, it's not like here in Cheltenham, it, but you know, it's just kind of neighboring. And each, each little chak would have its own well and its own local shop and all the rest of it. Mm -hmm. And basically what had happened is the chaos and violence, of, and they, they were already started. Actually, they left it a bit late. Mm. Partition had already happened and they, they were still there. Yeah. And um, they were told, right, go to the next chak, chak 47. There's a very, very wealthy Sikh man who used to be in the army. He's got this quite big manor house, I suppose. It's, it's called a Havili, which is quite a wealthy, kind of strong house. All the Hindu and Sikh families are going there to take refuge. So they went, and it was 1,500 people, women, children, and men. And essentially, they barricaded themselves into this house. And they were there for three days. There was a standoff. And because this Sikh gentleman who owned this 
property was in the army. I think they had a few weapons, had some guns. Mm. And I just let all the little details I discovered. They built, they, they, um, they dug a moat around it in the dead of the night. I don't know how they did it. And they basically got one of the canals to fill the moat. I mean, it was really, yeah. God, siege warfare. And it wasn't, this isn't just word of mouth. There was written documentation. One of the historians brought this remarkably. There's actually so much written about this period and mm. people were documenting it at the time. It's just finding it. Um, but eventually, after three days, they couldn't hold it any longer because there were just so many Muslim families. And they got through and they were, I mean, I mean it's not pretty. They were butchered essentially, yeah. and I was told that the pretty young women were taken, and no one knows. Nobody knows Nobody knows. I mean, that's, it's just- I'm it's so sorry. I feel like the stands. There's, no. No, there's no kind of, there is obviously joy, but I feel like I need to apologize to everybody that it's so dark it's and depressing. It's so dark, but it's, but the reality is that, not, I mean, I find it utterly fascinating because not only does it shed light on this particular situation in, in Indian partition, but in a way, it's it's such a real tale of the traumas of war and the yeah. the traumas that people, all our ancestors in funny, you know, we've all gone through Absolutely. this sort of trauma, but to be able to tangibly get to it like you have, to have that opportunity, yeah. it's both deeply disturbing, but I imagine quite enriching too. Yes, absolutely, absolutely enriching. So I said, you know, and initially, it's ridiculous to think about it now that I even thought, I was like, oh, who do you think you are? Well, I don't know, well, I'll see. <laughs> and now here I am and it's enriched me. I feel so much more grounded. I feel like knowing that my, this is not only the trauma that my family went through, but I feel like I can honor those women that, you know, my grandfather's first wife, who conveniently nobody wanted to talk about for the last 70 years, um, because it's just not something that anybody really wants to have to face, mm. what their family... And I feel like, finally, as a young British woman, who my parents brought me up to be empowered and outspoken, I can say, you know what, sod shame. Yeah. Actually, women suffered horrendously, and I think somebody needs to talk about what they went through, and nobody has, as is, as is the case of so much history. I it think. is, it is, and it's, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's uncomfortable, and it, it forces people to face these injustices, but actually, by talking it through, so many more stories are coming to light, aren't they? I mean, yeah. it's, your story was a sort of a, a touch paper for all these different other tales of partition that are coming out, but did you feel that people were deliberately covering up their experiences? And as you mentioned, sort of shame. Yeah. It, was there a sense of shame? Yes, I think so. I think that's just because it's part of the culture of that land, and particularly women, um, especially still sometimes to this day a little bit, but particularly 70 years ago, are seen as the, ridiculously the honour of the family. Yeah. And anything that would taint that, for the same reason that... So women, what, what I do know is that thousands, and I read a book and it, the figure was 75,000 women were kidnapped and kept actually on each side of the border. And what happened was a lot of women then, because they had children, because mm -hmm. they would have been raped and got pregnant, and then sometimes converted and essentially and married and stayed, stayed. So Sikh women, we know that this happened because mm. the first thing ridiculously that each country did post-partition, Pakistan and India, was like, let's repatriate those women. And it took years Gosh. and years. Now you've got a woman who is from a Sikh family, let's say, in India, who's lived for 10 years in Pakistan as a Muslim woman. She's got a 10-year-old child and they've gone, okay, you can, your child can stay here, but you, we're gonna tell your back to... 
And her parents, they take her back to India and they'd be like, well, we don't want to know you because you're utterly tainted. <laughs> I mean, there's so much, if this happened here, we would have a documentary on every night about yeah. what happened. Yeah. There is just so much I've discovered and I'm still discovering yeah. um, from making this program uh, that is so shocking and appalling. But like you say, the shame and started to happen. But the reason I think is there's shame, there's yeah. a big, a lot of shame. And but I actually think the other reason it's never been spoken about is how do you even begin to talk about something so horrific? And the point, 14th of August, 1914, Pakistan, 1915, Indian independence, uh, sorry, 14th of August, Pakistan, 15th of August, um, Indian independence, you've got the birth of a nation, the celebration of independence. Uh, where do you fit in yeah. the horror? Yeah. yeah, where do you fit that in? Nobody, and there is no memorial in any country, not in Britain, not in India, not in Pakistan. I don't know, I think there was just like a collective silence, like, okay, we all know that happened, but no one's going to talk about it. it th this is why I'm so, I, mean, thank, I think all of us are so grateful to you for making this happen and getting the conversation started because it's like, it, it is one of these things that I think is so important about studying history, how mm. we study it. It's not about a date, it's not about an act, it's not about a piece of paper. What we're showing here are millions of lives, individual lives, yes. and each one is affected differently, but that's the story we want to be hearing now. Back of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and that's the reaction. They've got such an amazing reaction off the back of it. Again, mm. overwhelms. Mm. Um, but the best thing for me, and I guess this is the reason I made it, and this is why I love television. Like, this is why we get into it, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, that so many, I've had so many letters, handwritten letters. How oh. wonderful is that? Handwritten, handwritten actual letters. pen, ink. <laughs> I think someone <laughs> or on Twitter saying, I finally, for the first time in my life, spoke to Granny, or Mum has just revealed something. Happened really? my, with my own in-laws, and my mother-in-law was like, oh, well, I might as well tell you about what happened. You no, know, yeah. really. So it's just sparked conversation, and I remember saying, if, if one person says that it's made them ask a question within their family, then that's great, but it seems that it's, it's kind of, and also beyond that, not just amongst the British Asian community or anybody that was involved in India, so many people are saying, why do we not know this? This is mm -hmm. a huge part of British history. This is empire. This is the end of empire. Why are we not talking about what happened when it ended? <laughs> you know, and, it is, and it is one of these things, again, I think we sort of say, oh, brilliant, you know, the empire ended, Britain got out, go, creation of India, creation of Pakistan, fantastic. And then there is this, this daily horror that is the, the ripple of that. Yeah. Um, I think this idea that it's, it's based on religious lines as well. Yeah. I mean, that is, is a problem too, isn't it? It's so divisive. You've got people, I mean, your own story, the idea that you needed a visa to get into the village where you, Yeah, you know. it's ridiculous. And the most ridiculous thing about it is that it happened in a place like Punjab or anywhere in India. You know, India, well, to this day, okay, without getting into politics, modern day politics, but you know, certainly at the time, it's, it's, it's a plural society. There are yep. so many religions that live side by side and have done for centuries, it, forever, for, you know, however long. And Punjab, this state, which was a golden state, it was the last state, I mean, I'm sure there are people more learned than me in the room, but to be annexed by the British. And it was the sort of military not only the breadbasket, the, the military hub, um, 
World War I, a million Indian soldiers, World War II, two million, and the vast majority were Punjabi Sikh men who they came from these kind of rural families. Um, so the, you've got all of that going on, but there were Hindus, Muslims, and Sikhs all living side by side. And believe me when I say the food is identical, the language Punjabi doesn't matter if you're Hindu or Muslim, you speak it exactly the same way. Gosh, the yeah. clothes they wear, like the pre-wedding songs, folk, the folk culture is the same. The only difference is the God that you pray to. Yeah. So in my mind, the idea that this then becomes a reason to divide somewhere is bonkers. When I go to Punjab, and I'm lucky that I've been going to India since I was two. Great. So I've had this really lovely kind of dual understanding of my culture. And I remember whenever we go to Punjab in India, whenever I go to the village and my mum's family ended up, there is a Muslim shrine. Um, like when kind of notable Muslims die, they create a, a sort of a, almost a sort of burial area which is then shrouded in green material and it's seen as a sacred place. Mm. If you tie a little red um, ribbon, you make a wish and it will come true and it's somewhere you go to pay your respects. I've done that my whole life. Mm. The idea that I wouldn't go to a, a Muslim shrine or a Hindu temple or a Sikh Gurdwara makes no sense to me. Like mm. I would naturally do all three because that's a Punjabi culture. So the idea that then you can just go, Actually, I read a really cool, funny article the other day that somebody wrote in an Indian newspaper. And it was, um, they were saying, how about Britain with, with post-Brexit? Here's an idea. A line of draw, a division, oh. and all the Remainers go to one side. Oh. And, all the, and it was so That's brilliant. Yeah. I'm going to send it to you. You Dude, should read it. God, Put it on your yeah. Twitter, and then you can all read Nina's Twitter. Uh, and it was brilliant. And it basically was like, yeah, that's how ridiculous That's exactly it. it. That's ridiculous. That's how, yeah. <laughs> that's so, such a good comparison. Yeah. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait. Is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. I mean, I found it absolutely bonkers. So I was doing some reading up um, and I was looking at the maps that the British Raj were using in order to designate the lines, yeah. at which point there's you know, greater amounts of Muslims on one side, greater amount of Hindus on the other. So the Sikhs, of course, you know, they are concentrated, but they are scattered as well. Yeah. And it, it, it's 
just to me, it's just such empiricism. The idea that, mm. well, I have a graph, yes. and it shows that it's more on this side than there. Yeah. So let's stick a line along here. It really, it really upset me looking at those old maps. It gets better when you hear the chap that they brought over, Sir Cyril Radcliffe, to draw this line. <laughs> had never set foot in India. He would. He knew nothing about maps. He'd never been to India. He was. A, he was a lawyer, and they brought him over and went, right, mate, you've got six weeks. There you go. You've got one Hindu and one Muslim just to try and keep it nice and balanced to help you out. But six weeks' time, jolly good. Let, let us know what you've decided. I mean, talk about the most pressure that poor chap um, was put under. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's just the worst job in history has to be. Yeah. Like, like, <laughs> I, think like, <laughs> I would I mean, not want to be no. that guy. And no, then, you wouldn't. And, yeah, and then what happened at the end of it? I mean, it's just, it's, it's farcical really, isn't it? It is, but it continues to have its yeah. ripples. You know, that's, what, that's one of the upsetting things as well, is that there is still great division in, and in attitude really, isn't there, between India and Pakistan? Is that huge, huge. huge. Um, Post-partition, there were two wars between mm -hmm. India and Pakistan. Mm -hmm. So there you go, my grandfather, whose family died there, then is, finds himself, because he's still in the army, mindling wars with them. Kashmir, the <laughs> legacy, the bit that they decided they couldn't, oh, no, we can't, never mind, we'll just leave that. <laughs> Don't know what to do with it. Don't we like, yeah, they can it, figure This that won't one out. come back on us. Yeah. Cr cricket, okay? Be fine, just They'll leave it there. out. <laughs> um, so, yes, um, uh, cr cricket, okay? You know, to India and Pakistan. Pakistan can't play cricket in India. Yeah. The Pakistani team can't. They play the, the big match that happened recently in, in the UK was huge because it's the first time India and Pakistan have played, like, because they can't play in each other's countries. Yeah. I mean, there's so much nonsense. But what I discovered when I went to Pakistan, which I can't believe I've been to Lahore, I've been wanting to go to this place. You know, they called it the Paris of the East. Yeah. And believe me, it is, is it beautiful. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. As a historian, my oh, God, yeah. My tongue, yeah. You've got, it's just stunning. And, um, but people are people. People yeah. are people. And the people feel a sense of loss. Really? It's like, you know, yeah, because... Yeah, the culture is so much richer, as we know, when there's just, you've got difference and other, it's just, it's, a, it's been, and actually, interestingly, the amount of people I met when I was in Lahore who said, you know, three generations, we were converted, yeah. and we were Hindus, or we were, and so there's all of that as well. You've only been Muslim for three generations, and yeah. now all of a sudden you're in, so it's just... I, mean, I think it's, it's amazing because it blows the lid on so many things. I, I was so excited watching your programmes because I just thought my head was pinging off in every single yeah, direction. Yeah, as is mine, as you can yeah, tell. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about <laughs> the situation in the Middle East, but I was also yeah. thinking about the situation with you know, the fragmentations of countries like Yugoslavia and, and all this, these, these things that we can trace right the way back through history. And it also made me think about my own background. I'm I, felt, I feel exactly the same way as you about my past being immigrant stock. I don't care really what went before because oh, I feel like we're going that. forward. Yeah. I don't think about well, I think it's different if you know you're going to inherit something from someone no. when they die. <laughs> My family would just came, made something of themselves and keep going forward. But actually watching it, I thought, actually, I want to know now. Yeah. I want to know about the trauma. And I know it's traumatic because it is. It has to be that it goes back to war and it goes back to division. And it, there's reasons people migrate on a big scale often because of trauma I, yeah, and, and it's going to be traumatic and, and, and I, I think you were so brave to go through that, that trauma 
Has it left an echo? Do you feel like, like still sad? Do you still feel sad about it? I, it's interesting you're going to say that because they talk about the echo of trauma that kind of mm. carries through generations. And I'm no psychologist and I don't really know. Do I feel sad about it? It's really interesting. I think I, having never met my grandfather because he died six months before my mum got married. And I feel like... I, more than his children, I feel his pain. Mm. It's this weird feeling I have where it's like, my God, granddad, and you kept it all to yourself and no, you never talked about it. And ha even more bizarre than that, his first wife, who's even more removed from me, I feel like my, it's, it's my duty. It's my duty to kind of make sure that she's honoured, that we kind of people... You could see that yeah. in the programme. You, <laughs> so, yeah. you and your mum had very different agendas on yeah. that trip, yeah, didn't you? Yeah, massively. I'm glad you saw that. Yeah, yeah, it's true. You, you, I could see you were feeling... And, I mean, I could understand why your mum might not necessarily feel that connection, but you, you were feeling for her as a woman who yes. killed herself for, to protect herself almost. Yeah. And I could really see that... that your, what was your mum more interested in, you think? She wanted to know... Uh, was about her dad. Uh -huh. It was nice for her to see. And this is the honest truth, because that was a Sikh heartland. Mm. And for Sikhs, it was, a qu it was quite a major deal that Punjab was split into. Mm -hmm. What I didn't know was there are 300 Sikh temples still in Pakistan. That, and actually, it's quite a major pilgrimage for wow. Sikhs to get to go to those couple of places, Nankana Saab, which is the birthplace of the first guru. My mum, to this day, she'll phone me up and go, you made that happen for me. Oh. You made that happen for me. I never thought in my life. So for her, it was quite important oh, gosh, to kind yeah. of... I also met... I mean, this is another documentary for another day. Maybe we need to talk about it. There are, there are 2,000 Sikh families who were Pakistani Sikhs who never left because in Peshawar, which is in the northeast, like that kind of region towards Afghanistan, they didn't even hear the partition was happening. <laughs> they didn't get to them. So they've then gone, oh, oh, where, where have all the Sikhs gone? Uh, Lahore, Lahore's a bit different. <laughs> where is everyone? <laughs> so they, yeah, exactly. Oh no. And there's this remar other remarkable story about how they stayed and some converted yeah. and others didn't. And there is now, and they are, and I met the first Sikh member of the Pakistani army. No yeah. way. So there's a whole new history, a whole new interesting bit oh, of Sikh. Where it goes. Yes. And, and the strands. I mean, that's it. It's just, it, it, that's why I think it's so interesting thinking about sort of cultural history and, and the, the way that you see these things. Yes, it's ideological, it's religious, yeah. but you're, you described all these things Food, music, yeah. writing, song. When it comes down to it, that's culture, and that's actually something that, that never gets really explained in history as no, much, does it? And I have to say, it was really important for me to make this program. Another one of my agendas, not that it's cool to say that, but there was. I wanted people to know, I wanted British Asian kids to know, but I really wanted British Asian kids, particularly young Sikh children, to know that you are really similar to Pakistani Muslim children, that actually this weird, and I sense this kind of growing divide, yeah. and they've never set foot in India, and yet they have these opinions and feelings, and I just wanted them to, to know that 70 years ago, 
we all live together. Absolutely. And like you need to kind of, and the only way, and I just feel it's dangerous. I've just sensed there are things happening that just worry me, concern you, me. But it's so valuable. I, I mean, I went to school in Slough and I remember the day when the Sikh Muslim riots happened uh, on our street. And we were at one end of the street. I, I see it, I could see it. And they were, were absolutely going for each other. You're a Slough girl. She's, she's part Punjabi. <laughs> Never mind. No, yeah, and it was, but it was so real. Yes. It was terrifying yes. because it was actually, you know, they were stabbing each other. They were really, it was yeah. really, really real. And I, at the time, I mean, I was like 15, 16. I didn't really understand why they hated each other so much. And it's to sort of open it up and say, this is the reason, but now we know the reason. What's the solution going yeah. forward? And yeah. that's what you're doing, aren't you? Oh, I hope so. Uh, or, I mean, I don't know. It's only a TV show, but, you know, it's just, just, just put it into context, you know, just for people to just see it, that, you know, the families went through traumatic stuff. Yeah. And for all this stuff about the bloodshed, and yes, absolutely, Sikhs and Muslims and Hindus were killing each other. There were actually moments of families protecting each other exactly. as well and going, you know what, you are our friends, you are like family to us and we are going to help you. There was all of that happening as well. It was um, so it, obvious when you were again interviewing the, the 90 year old man that he, um, he, he, the way he said we sat next to each other at school, yeah. you know, the idea that their de desks were next to each yeah. other and they were, like you say, friends and to lose a friend, it, it, that's what it was coming back to, that yeah. there was so much commonality. It didn't even matter that they didn't believe in the same things. Yeah. They were friends. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. They were friends. And that's what makes it so mad that this happens. But like you say, you know, it happens time and time again throughout history. Yeah. Genocide and neighbors, friends. And it's, that's the most difficult thing and the hardest thing to understand about humans, I guess. It's, so it's just well. the hardest. And that's why it makes it hard to talk about it. Yeah. And that's why I think, I think after my Who Do You Think You Are, I had this moment where I was filming for Countryfile and I was in the Covent Garden flower market. And it was four o'clock in the morning because all the flower marketeers are there, burly kind of East London types. And this massive bloke came up to me and he grabbed my hands and I thought, oh, here we go, he wants to talk about Strictly. Ah. And he went, Anita Rani. And I just went, and he went, your story about partition is one of the most moving things I've ever seen. And he said, I, I connected to the humanity in such a profound way. And then he said, and he was this massive bloke, he said, I can't even talk to you without wanting to cry. Oh and he gosh. said, I can't say anymore. And he had to leave me. And I think that is why, why this, it's not just people saying, how did we not know about this moment in yeah. history? It's because we want to know, like, this is human history. You know, it's, we yeah. want to understand what it is to be human. It's just an ongoing yeah. journey, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. But, I mean, I, it, it was amazing. We're going to leave some time for questions. Yeah, We've sorry. talked so much. Yeah. Um, we talk a lot. It, it is, I could talk to you forever, obviously. Yeah. We will. Uh, but, not, not here. But not we'll here. carry on. <laughs> Please, everybody, can we just put our hands together? This has been moving and amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you. Amazing. Oh my goodness, my emotions are ragged this evening. Absolutely ragged. Right. For a hard for a hardcore northerner, yeah. you know, I'm kind of <laughs> becoming very emotional these days. But yes, I was love to. Right. Where's our microphone? Over there. Let's get some hands up. There's a gentleman over. Oh, we've got quite a few hands up. Can we start with this gentleman here, please? Just there. Thank you very much. Okay. <laughs> 
Um, there's a very moving story that you've told, and I did watch your programmes, and they're brilliant. But what I found really um, intriguing is that no one blames anybody. You know, does anybody say it was Churchill's fault, or Nehru's, or Gandhi's, or, you know, nobody ever blames. I, and I think, that, I think that's quite wonderful, that they don't actually point any finger and say it was all your fault. Yeah. Did you ever come across any of that when you were talking to these people? No, and that is, it's a really interesting point, and it's a good observation, actually. And that's the truth of it. First of all, Asian families just don't talk about it. Mm. But certainly when they do, maybe the elders or whatever, Nobody ever gets into the politics of it because I think that's why this program was the right way of making it and seeing it from the perspective of actually what happened to the people and ultimately because the people didn't care. Mm. They didn't care who was to blame. It, it, it just happened. I'm sure people do have their opinions, mm. um, definitely, uh, but ultimately, you know, they, I, I just, it's, not, it's certainly not something that I've heard conversations... Just put it this way, my grandfather, we had a dog. I don't know if I should say this, but no, I won't, I won't. Okay, my husband's just looked at me saying it. He knows like, what it is, he knows the story. Okay, I, yeah, I think people do have their opinions, um, um, definitely, and they do blame politicians, but it's, it's just not the main, when, it, when we talk about partition, I just don't think it's the first thing that comes to people's minds. I think there, but if you, would, if you were to sit down with, anybody had an opinion about it, they would probably get into it with Jinnah and Nehru and Gandhi, of course, mm. of course. Mm. And yeah. I mean, this is, it's interesting, isn't it, that that's a really good observation, actually. Yeah. I thought the same thing, that there was, there was a sense of just grief and regret and, and almost this sort of accidental horror of it. Yeah, I don't, it, and it is one thing that I thought, oh, and a few people have asked me, oh, should it have happened and who's to blame? Like, the politics of it is so complex, but I do, feel that, you know, if you've run a country for 200 years and you're about to leave, just, just deal with it delicately. I just feel that, yeah. you know, you talk about blame and I'm not here to lay, you know, it's history's history as we all know, but there is a responsibility on a country that has ruled for 200 years and cutting and running, I just, it's, it's difficult. I think, it's mm -hmm. a, I think that is the biggest thing that we need to now talk about, mm. sort of legacy of empire. It's yeah. difficult. It's difficult for me to even say it, but, I, you know, you've got to. You've got to. Yeah, yeah. It was dealt with. It was mismanaged. Let's put it that way. It was mismanaged. Yeah. But yes, should it? Uh, yeah. yeah. Yes. Excellent. Mm. Right, we had another question. This lovely lady here. Fantastic. Oh, aren't you all being good waiting for the microphone? Yes. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Your programmes were incredibly moving. Thank you. Um, two of the phrases I absolutely hate are lessons will be learned from this and we learn from history <laughs> because very often neither of those are true. One of the things I found really puzzling in the programme was what happened to Lahore. That they didn't actually decide what was going to happen to Lahore and change their mind. What was that all about? What, in what, what main? Well, yeah, as I remember it, and I, forgive me if I'm wrong, that at one point Lahore was going to be on one side yes. of the border, and then they changed their mind. Yes, why so did they change their mind? So what was that about? Well, yes, I don't know. What were the conversations that took place? I think it was, I think, I mean, I mean there are probably more of you in this room who know about it than I do, but I think it, they probably felt that that Pakistan needed a major city. 
and Calcutta stayed in India because there was discussion about Calcutta going to East Pakistan. So I think Lahore was given to Pakistan. I think there was a, there was, it was part of the deal that they needed a, a major city. And they say when Lahore went to Pakistan, people cried. Mm. And I know, having set foot in that city, being lucky enough to go there, you, it, you feel it. Yeah. It is. It's steeped in history and everyone's history. It's all there. And you imagine that that, and it was so part of this Punjabi, this <sighs> great state. So yeah, I think, I think that's what, what happened. Mm. I think they went, right, well, okay, if we're gonna keep Calcutta, then Pakistan get Lahore, as simple as that. Mm. Yes, a barter, totally. exactly, yes. A barter situation, yeah. 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 I mean, it is, it, you know, I, I'm always trying to think about ways to relate it to what we would go through here, but it's like when you have the Dane law and you have York up at the north, yeah. and, it, and the, the, that was, grieved over yes you know? yeah. York was no longer part of yeah. living and, and but it but that is this is I mean this is so much more traumatic isn't it because it is other people deciding just drawing lines and deciding that goes that yeah yeah but but such Startling. pride in these places as well you know these are places that are not just it's difficult to imagine I, I'm still trying to relate it how would we what what how can we compare it, in we it? it yeah. but because we're such a developed nation it's so difficult to do I mean these were the the cities you know Absolutely. Lahore I've been to Amritsar I've been to Jalanda I've been to every major city in Indian Punjab nothing is a patch on Lahore really I, nothing I set foot in Lahore and I was like oh my god I'm in the capital of Punjab wow. this is incredible this is on another level it's another it's another city, another, well, Amritsar's not a patch on what Lahore is. And then to not be able to access it, to not be able to get to it. Yeah. That is... You can, you can see why it would have broken people's hearts. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Wonderful question. We've got another question up at the back there. Lovely. Thank you all. If you just make its way over. Hi, this is more of a statement than a question. First of all, thank you so much for coming to Gloucester. Um, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. <laughs> you are one of my role models as oh. a Punjabi person, woman in England. Um, and looking at you the last couple of years, I know that I can do whatever I want yes, to do. Yes, um, <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, I'm here with my mum, and we are both... Hello, mum. <laughs> <laughs> We're both Pakistani Punjabis um, from Lahore. And watching your program was one of the most emotional things that we've been through as a family, all together. Um, luckily, we have talked about partition, our family, especially from my mum's dad's side. Um, he passed away before I was born, so I wasn't able to ask him directly. And luckily, like you, I've been able to go back to Pakistan when I was a child and learn about it. Um, I went back to Lahore two years ago for the first time in 11 years. And after learning about all the things, seeing, you know, Ranjit Singh's palace and his, you know, his, his shrine, everything is there. And the people, the Sikh, Sikh people are not there to, to see it. Yep. Um, and you know, I went to Nadgana Sahib as well. Yeah, and for the first time ever, I've been to a Gurdwara. I've been to Southwell, I've been all over the UK, I've never been to a Gurdwara. The first time I went was there. And the sense of peace and spirituality you feel in the temple of another religion is incredible. And it's what all India and Pakistan is about, living together in harmony. Um, and I just wanted to say thank you so much for bringing that oh, to light God. to a lot of my friends, my white friends, even my Sikh, Muslim, Hindu friends who didn't know about this or didn't talk about it in their families. 
It really means so much. And thank you so much for coming here and doing what you do and being who you are. Thank, thank you. you. Gosh, I'm oh, so humbled. Thank you. That really means a lot. Thank you. I don't, I, I, I don't actually know I'm how to really take that. I'm really struggling yeah, today. I don't, I'm so, thank you so much. I'm fine, I don't know how to take that, but I will with humility and say, I'm glad, thank, you know what? If all I can do is empower British Asian girls and girls generally, that's awesome. I must say, I do drink quite a bit as well, so I'm not the best role model. Although, you, probably, you obviously don't drink because you're a good Pakistani, I don't know, anyway. But <laughs> you're right, you know, um, yes, that means I, I make a joke of it because I obviously don't know how to cope with what you just Because you're going to cry said. in a minute, yes. aren't you? Um, but, yeah, and we'll talk later. Um, but you know exactly what I'm talking about when I talk about Lahore then. What a place. And actually, what she just said about Ranjit Singh, mm. this, the last great, oh, this is a great story, you must get... Um, Anita Anand's book, I was going to say yeah. about the Kohinoor. He was the king who had the Kohinoor diamond, mm. and he was the last king of this great Punjabi empire. And it was his son, Maharaja Dilip Singh, mm -hmm. that was brought to these shores at the age of nine and converted to Christianity and was never allowed to set foot back ever again in India because they still feared that if he ever set foot back in Punjab, he, he would regain... Yeah, he would take it. It's an amazing story. It's a, maybe that'll be my next documentary. Yes. It's, it's a, it's, yeah, good. I'm, I'm glad you've got your thumbs up. Do it. But, but that is the story of this, uh, this Punjabi heartland. It is And his, there is a, next to the main mosque in Lahore, right next to it is the Sikh temple. Yeah. And that is where his, like, that is his place, his samadhi. Yeah. Uh, and that was his court. Oh I mean, the stories, God. they are magical. And that you would read them in a fairy tale and be blown away, but it's real it and is. it's not that old. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. you know, it, it, it's it's that idea of just all of us, all that we're, you know, all of us are trying to do this through television, through communicating, but just broadening up knowledge of these places yeah. and stories that are directly relevant to British people. That's exactly. You know, they're not. It's not distant and far away. It's relevant and it matters. Yeah. And you're bringing it to people, and it's amazing. Yeah. Do we have another question? Go on. Sat window. Oh, hang on, wait for the, where's the mic? Have you got the microphone? Could you bring it round? Because we want to hear Sat Winderman speak. By the way, I, this I is I don't the... drink that much, by the way. Can I just say? <laughs> She's paranoid now. I know, I'm like, what have I just said? <laughs> May I just firstly introdu introduce the speaker who's about to talk to you for the moment. This is Sat Winderman. He is our calligrapher, and he made this on my arm today. Yeah, beautiful. And he is going to be in the scriptorium, breathing life back into the medieval through his wonderful skills. Thank you, Anita. What I just wanted to say was this, these stories have been around for ages and ages, but because the media doesn't cover them, they've not, been made, they've not come to light. And it's thanks to you that they have. But these stories go further back than that. You know, Maharaj of the Leap Singh, further back, but splitting up of Punjab, the land of five rivers. It all goes further and further back, but because the, the, there was no communication, in India at the time. You know, it was just oral communication. And when the British left, they just put a full stop to it. And that was it. So the, the only history we've got is oral history that our parents and grandparents have passed down. But English history will not show that. Indian history books will show a different story. Yeah. So it's about time that the truth, we can learn from yesterday to make tomorrow better. And that's all we can hope for. So when these stories come out, the atrocities, we all know that. The Sikhs, you know, 
Let's not go into religion or politics, but those atrocities did happen. They're documented. But it's about time they're brought out into the open and somebody should realize the suffering, the torture, and what has made us into a race that we are, mm. of tolerant people, democratic people, with dignity and humanity who will defend those who can't defend themselves. And that's why India is still alive. And why Pakistan was split up, there is reason for it. That's totally political. We won't go into that, but we can discuss that later. But thank you for bringing those yeah. and putting them into the media that is now... Well, yeah, no, you're right. I mean, the, the, you're right. Um, it's not talked about... It's not talk, it's talked about even... I mean, we, at least there are programmes. I remember 10 years ago, at the 60th anniversary, watching Empire's Children, which I thought was all of a sudden... Mm. And, um, and I can't believe that, like, in my career, now I've all of a sudden made a programme about my history that... And I'm, in the I'm here at the Gloucester History Festival talking about it. I mean, these are all little things that kind of <laughs> have an out-of-body moment where it's like, wow, okay, that happened. Um, but India and Pakistan talk about it even less. Let's remember that. You know, right. we say, you know, oh, British don't talk about it. India really doesn't talk about it. And, wow. I've, and I, my biggest hope is that this program gets syndicated and sold to India and Pakistan and that actually people get to see it in those countries because we, at least we, we kind of... And, yeah, yeah. And, you know, these programs... Yeah, yeah. So, so at but least you're, they you're, Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. If you could get it out into yes, those hopefully. formats, amazing. Yes. It, it's just the tip of the iceberg, really. Yeah, so, yeah. To start these conversations going. You're amazing. Okay, there was another hand up, wasn't there? Where, where, where do we have it? There's the gentleman there. Thank you. I have it straight away. Well, my first question might be for uh, Janina. Oh. Uh, where should history begin? Should, should ours begin with Stonehenge, or well, what yeah, about yeah. the colonialization of, of Britain by the Saxons or the Normans? Yeah. Uh, where does it begin in India? Uh, I mean, I understand that the Ooh, yeah. British colonialization and the empire uh, was not by any means the first yeah. uh, uh, no, colonialization colonial. of India. And all of these various uh, colonializations bring in uh, a lot of uh, religious baggage with them. You're right, yes. Uh, and that all seems to naturally uh, uh, follow with uh, a sort of collective psychological impulse for division. Mm. Uh, and I think it's, it's very difficult to actually apply blame mm. to any one particular sector mm, or, or to one particular time in history mm. as i say it's something inherent in the in the uh, in the human condition he's at, yeah. Yeah. yeah you are what an right. articulate yeah. way of expressing it. i mean i think you're right i think if we look at <laughs> it's, it's one of the big bugbears in my life you know my name is janina ramirez it's polish name. first name spanish second name irish scottish on you know I talk about British history. I make programs about British history. And yet, just in myself, I'm a complete hybrid and a mix. And, and so I just think it's arbitrary to try and impose this, this sense of, well, let's go back to the Anglo-Saxons beyond that. That's England. No, 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 let's go back before that. That's England. That's England. That's England. 
it, history doesn't work like that. You're absolutely right. It is a continuum, and it's just changing and evolving. And I'm sure India has exactly that too, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. So many different um, people have come to India and conquered, and Alexander was there. I mean, the reason why North Indians look so different to South Indians is because we were an absolute mixture of so many different waves of people coming in, um, the Mughals who came, and every every person and people that come in bring their rich heritage and culture and architecture and all of that and the legacies left behind. I think the reason why for me and I think the reason why for most people who watch my program get so shocked by it and maybe you as well, I don't know, is because it's such recent history and it's British history and it's only 70 years yeah. ago and I think if that happened now, I mean we know things are happening in the Middle East, I think we just learn lessons, we learn nothing from history, you yes. are so right, but we hope that we are now in a position where at least our governments think, right, okay, what is the best way of dealing with this situation now? You know, mm -hmm. I, just, I just think the, one of the things is there was such a, it was such a cut and, cut and run. Mm. Mm. It was, it was, and that was, and that was it, and it was like, let's get out quick. Sure, so sure. I think that's, that's the reason why there is, for me, that is a, a, a discussion to be had or not. But yeah, that's the only thing that sticks in my throat a little bit. Mm. Gosh, you know what? We've totally overrun. Oh, <laughs> uh, so I talk, been a lot. Utterly, I talk a lot. Utterly, in, utterly enthralling. Yes. I'm sure you all agree. Um, thank you from the bottom of my heart for thank coming you. to us. Thanks for asking me. And okay. I hope you'll come back. Yes. And um, everybody, let's thank her again. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.